0: Darkcast Network, the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts.
1: Welcome to Ford and Vegas, a true crime podcast for the ages with two friends who hate each other. I'm Ford, and I am joined by the returning. This is a big moment. He hasn't been around since December. The one, the only, my worst enemy, Vegas. Vegas, it's been 87 years. Oh, yes. That's a Titanic reference. It is, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, Vegas. I'd ask how you've been, but I really don't care. So we'll get right into the show. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, and don't forget to like the video show, in Vegas. And if you're on the go, you can subscribe to this show as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And and if you're listening to us already on the podcast, Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to watch this show, simply go to fordandvegas.com and you'll find the link to do so. This show in podcast form is ad-free for just $3 a month, which goes to supporting the show and my drug habit. Simply go to patreon.com. Forward slash Ford and Vegas. Also, Ford and Vegas is the handle on the social medias. So you could follow us there as well. And if you want to buy a Ford and Vegas shirt, you can do so at shopfordandvegas.com. And we always recommend the premium soft quality shirts. They are the highest quality. And lastly, We are a proud member of the Darkcast Network, the best indie true crime podcast network on God's green earth. So there you go. Yep. Big show in the works, in the plans for uh, this week. Vegas, have you been following along at all with the Alex Murdoch trial, which is bigger than i thought it was going to be uh, because if you google the word murder every day the alex murdoch trial is right there at the top of the list
0: yeah i mean i have been following a little bit um i haven't been scrolling every day um however my prediction of of him um you know not killing the nanny um even though he's not on trial for that at the second um Looking slimmer and slimmer by the day. Because a lot of things have come out that this guy is a real piece of shit. Yes. Yes.
1: So let's recap what we have, uh, what, what happened, what went down today, February 16, as we record this. Jurors in the Alex Murdoch double murder trial heard graphic detail today about how the examiner believes the victims were shot and a recording that showed Murdoch admitting to a murder-for-hire scheme to get insurance money for his family. Murdoch is accused, obviously, as you know, or may not know, he's accused of killing his wife, Maggie, and their adult son, Paul, at the family's 1,700-acre property in rural Colleton County, South Kakalaki in June of 2021. The prosecution says Murdoch acted alone in killing his family, while the defense says Police and prosecutors rushed to judgment, naming Alex as the suspect. Murdoch is facing separate trials on allegations. He stole millions from his law firm and his clients. While he's not directly facing those charges, the prosecution said his financial crimes was a motive in this case. It kind of ties together. You can, uh, all right. So Thursday morning, which was today, began with the defense counsel, Jim Griffin, is objecting to Judge Newman's reverse of an earlier ruling that will now allow testimony to come in regarding the roadside shooting in September uh, September of 2021. Judge Newman says of his ruling yesterday was based on Griffin's introduction of the relationship and Alex Murdoch and Eddie Smith during questioning of SLED agent Dave Owen the judge said that he had ruled pre-trial that the roadside shooting was going to be off-limits, but said with Griffin making the connection on Wednesday and not expecting to get burned by their actions, they did have repercussions. So the judge originally, Vegas, if you recall, he hired his cousin to shoot him in the head on the side of the road Mm -hmm. in a murder-for-hire plot Yes, that went awry and didn't quite work out as Alex had hoped because he was trying to leave money for Buster. I believe his name is Buster. So the judge had originally decided, we're not going to let that evidence get into this trial. We're going to keep them separate. But then the defense brought him up, and now here we are. Don't do it. So the... Judge is being asked to not allow two interviews conducted by the Savannah, the Savannah hospital. He said Murdoch was under medication and the doctor would have to be called to testify on Murdoch's competency competency at the time. Lead prosecutor Creighton waters is stating that he and the defense team made a deal over the night that would allow agent Kelly, the agent at the roadside scene and the defendants claim that he was attacked by an unknown stranger when he actually arranged it to be allowed in court. Waters said that he would also like to enter a phone interview with Alex. Judge Newman said he has not reviewed the evidence in question and that the two parties have agreed, then take a few minutes to get things in order before the jury is called, then there's a 10-minute break. Testimony continued with David Grubbs, a chief forensic examiner at the SC Attorney General's office who is certified in Celebrite data and is an expert in cell phone forensics. Grubbs has analyzed all phones in this case and created a timeline using each phone's battery usage and habits. Some of the results of the analysis was presented on Wednesday afternoon. Vegas. Yes. It doesn't matter if you turn off all the tracking on your phone. If they want to go into your phone, they will still find all the data they need.
0: Yeah, yeah, if it, yeah, you don't if you're going to commit crimes or do anything, don't take your phone at all. No, don't leave it at your house,
1: leave it somewhere. Don't have it even near your person. No. So this is what we have. <clears throat> on June 7th, the battery in Paul's phone died at 10:34 p.m. The last text to Paul's phone was by Rogan Gibson. Yo. Unread between 9 and 10. Maggie's phone shows a lot of data being recorded in the background. Orientation changes recorded show someone handling the phone going from vertical to landscape. I hate when that happens when you're laying down in your phone like yes. Yeah. When you get shot in the head and your phone changes orientation. Orientation changes recorded show uh, someone handling the phone going from vertical to landscape. At one point, the camera interacts with the phone for about one second around 8.54. At 8.53 to 9.08, iOS snapshot is a record of what the phone is doing in the background while apps are running in the background. Maggie's phone is locked at this time and remains locked until the next day. In the same time frame, the Siri app pops up. Grubbs said it could be running in the background. It could be someone holding the button down to trigger the Siri app. Grubbs, I hate when I do that.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. You're getting like, oh, no, 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 no.
1: You know, and that thing's spinning at the bottom. Grubbs identifies at 9.07 p.m. as the time Maggie's phone is turned off. Turned on at 9.31. If the phone was tossed, it would not have recorded an orientation change
0: i mean that that's kind of scary if you think about it the fact that um it, even if you're not using it or even if you are using it it you can get data that says what how your phone is turned what's happening in the background at all times like even if someone sends you a text and your phone is off you still they still have record of that text going to yeah that's it, that's kind of scary that People people talk about, oh, I don't, you know, the computer and, no the cars are spying on it. Listen, everybody carries a cell phone. Nobody can live without it these days uh, unless you're, like, 90 and don't know how to use it. And even them, they have, they have cell phones. We all are tracked 24-7, 365 days a year. That's a fact.
1: Listen, cell phones are becoming such a regular part of life. I just got a new car, and that is my key. <laughs> yeah. It's my cell phone. Yeah. When asked, well, what do I do if it dies? My cell phone. I was told, well, then you better have the hotel room looking key, well, which you, you yeah, don't you, really carry.
0: You have another key, though. You should keep that. In I have
1: office. a, uh, it looks like a hotel room key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do have one. But I'm saying, when I asked, what what does the key look like? Like, oh, the key is your phone. Like, yeah. that's the key. Yeah,
0: yeah. The
1: key is meant to be my smartphone, my iPhone. Yeah, that's how much cell phones are becoming life. They're literally your. you could I could I could turn the heat on the air on. I can control all parts of the car right on the phone. That's how important cell phones are. Yep. And if you're going to commit crimes. Like Vegas said earlier, we highly recommend you don't have your phone on you.
0: And also, make sure you buy, like, a 72, uh, you know, car, 1972 Corvette, because the ones that don't have the GPS, because if you're driving a new Tesla or a Mach-E or one of these new electric cars that are going to be there eventually, they're going to know exactly what you're doing, when you're doing it, and stuff, just like your cell phone.
1: You should drive a 72 Ford Maverick.
0: Yes, to all your to all your murders.
1: Dr. Kenny Kinsey is the chief of detectives at Orangeburg County Sheriff's Department he is a criminal justice professor at Clayflynn University and a former SLED agent. Kinsey answers directly to the sheriff and manages over 18, uh, sorry, over 100 deputies and civilian employees. He testifies he has processed over 800 death scenes in his career. Imagine that.
0: That's a lot of death scenes. My God.
1: How do you separate work and life when that's your job? Sure. <laughs> go
0: to sleep and see people's faces because they're dead?
1: Can you imagine? No. Oof. Nope. Anywho, Kinsey did a crime scene reconstruction of the June 7 murders of Paul and Maggie using collected evidence, measurements from the scene, and a personal investigation. He was told to look at all the evidence and use his own judgment to come up to his own conclusions regarding the events of June 7. Kinsey said Paul suffered uh, two shotgun wounds. One buck shot to the chest near the midline, and the second fatal bird shot to the shoulder slash head. Kinsey testifies the first non fatal wound came as Paul was standing slightly at an angle. The shot came in Paul's left side. Pellets exited the right, uh, sorry, exited the left arm, re entered the body before exiting and going into the window behind him. Kinsey identifies photographs of views of the floor of the feed room seen from the entrance and Kinsey's rendering of the recreation of Paul's location in the feed room. Kinsey says blood has a vicious nature and the 90 degree blood drops on the floor mean Paul was standing for a moment after the first shot He was walking slowly after being hit. The feed room is 10 feet deep and Paul was approximately five feet away from the doorway when he was hit. Kinsey made his determinations based on blood spatter, the shape of the entrance wound and his knowledge of firearms. Kinsey is a gun instructor for all types of firearms and a typical buckshot, he says. There are nine pellets in the shot type that struck Paul. The location of the shooter cannot be defined exactly, he says. But the breach of the shotgun where you load and unload a shotgun was inside the door of the shed. The expended shells were found behind the door. Kinsey identifies photos showing Kinsey's enhanced image of the door to show the path of the fatal second shot. Other photos are Kinsey's photographs of the feed room door that he took when he was at the crime scene. Once he received the second shot, guess what? Paul stopped moving. Any movement was involuntary. Paul fell where he was found by force of gravity. The approximate shot path is from slightly below. Kinsey arrived at the path by observing blood spatter, shot defects in the door, and a void in the spatter that which indicate where Paul was standing when he was hit with the fatal shot. Blood, brains, and other biological matter were found at the top of the door, and some of the items on the top shelf inside the feed shed. How about that for an image? I thought they killed the I thought he killed the son in his bedroom. No, no, the son got killed over by the dog kennel. Oh boy. Yes. So with a shotgun wound from birdshot, Kinsey said you have over a hundred pellets doing damage that throws the body fluid and blood in a pattern. Kinsey points out the void on the door that shows Paul's body was blocking the area on the door. Kinsey determined Paul was slightly outside of the doorframe when he was hit. The shooter was to the right of the doorway outside of the feed room. Kinsey said the doorway, doorway would have shielded the shooter from some of the spatter. Waters asked Kinsey if there was any way the second shot could have been a contact wound. No way to replicate the blood spatter uh, pattern if it was a contact pattern, and the shot would have have to have come from above. It was not a suicide or self-inflicted wound. There is no way to hold the shotgun out and shoot it at the angle and get that blood spatter that is present in the feed room. The second wound was birdshot. The first shot was buckshot. So there you go. That's Paul. Isn't it crazy that this guy can go in, study the room, and the way that the blood spatters, he is able to tell where the shot came from, and more importantly, where it didn't come from. This was not a suicide, folks.
0: Well, it's it's also a lot harder with a shotgun to commit suicide than it is like with a handgun. Yeah, because you have to hold I mean, it to a certain. To, yeah, I mean, you. Yeah. you, you I'm yeah. not a gun guy, but they're pretty. Yeah, I mean, you know what a shotgun looks like. I do know what a you,
1: shotgun looks yeah, like. Yeah, You
0: could assume you'd have to really hold it, and yeah, so th- they would know that. But yeah, the fact that he can walk into a room or feed barn uh, or feed whatever this is pen barn thing, um, and just. Say yeah, it came from over here. Not Somebody much of was a country pro-
1: boy, are you? No, no,
0: no, city boy here. No. Um, you know, oh, he was over here. It shot over here. This and that. You know,
1: I mean, that's what forensic scientists do. Now he breaks down Maggie's. Kinsey said Maggie had three non-fatal injuries: left wrist, left thigh, and through her midsection. The thigh and midsection wounds were close together because of stippling shot quickly together a shot within four to five feet. The first fatal wound on the left side of the abdomen, out of the breast and into the left chin and into the brain had burning. She dropped at that point. The second fatal injury was down into her head and the entrance and exit wound were close enough to cause a large hole in the skull. Let that one marinate. <laughs> After the third shot, she would have been bent over from the ang- from and from the angle, she would have been on her knees with a hand on the ground. The three hundred blackout shell casings show a right side ejection port, but the path of the ejection does not necessarily show movement of a shooter. According to Kinsey, Kinsey said the first fatal wound came from behind about five or six feet away. It burned her stomach before entering her body, and she would have dropped. The second fatal shot was from the front and into the crown of the head. Kinsey identifies a comparison report on the bruisings on Maggie's leg. A photo of Maggie's leg is shown to the jury with a general impression of a footprint on Maggie's calf and the gunshot wound she sustained. Kinsey determined Maggie stood for a moment after being shot because of the blood pattern on her leg. The mark on the back of her leg is an unknown impression. Kinsey identifies the unknown impression in a cropped photograph. A Polaris side-by-side ATV is in close proximity to Maggie's body under a shed connected to the hangar. Kinsey looked for biological material on the tires of the ATV Kinsey said there is biological material, material on one of the ATV's tires. Kinsey explains he was looking at footwear and tire track thread uh, treads, not threads, dimensions of a tread pattern, shape, size, class characteristics that might make an impression. To make an identification to the exclusion of all others, there needs to be something unique or accidental to the thread three-dimensional impressions are best for making comparisons and possible identifications. Kinsey identifies photographs of the unknown impression on Maggie's calf and the known impression of the ATV tire by comparison side-by-side, the tread on the tire and the impression on Maggie's calf are in the same area. Kinsey said from the photo, uh, from the shot patterns, if Maggie was angled on the ground, she would have been facing the feed room. Waters asks, Are the shots consistent with the shooter coming from the feed room? Yes, it could be. Waters then asks, With this tire impression, is there a reasonable explanation of how the impression got onto Maggie? Answer, At some time, Maggie made some impact with the driver's side tire with her leg. Kinsey identifies a photo of a cell phone sitting on top of Paul. Kinsey is asked if that is how Paul was found at the scene. He answers, yes. Could Paul's phone have popped out and landed there on his back? Kinsey said the phone was placed there by someone else. If Paul had the phone in his hands, it would have been beneath the body or to the side. So,
0: so again, note to any potential uh, murderers out there, um, always take the cell phone of the victims and destroy it.
1: Kinsey is asked if there is uh, forensic value in taking swabs from bathrooms in a home. He responded, "If there is an unknown person, yes, but there is no forensic value to take swabs from bathrooms in a family home because it is common to have blood in the drains." Waters, have you owned guns? Kinsey responds, "He's of course. He's got seven rifles, including an automatic 223. The 300 blackout is louder than a shotgun." and during COVID, the ammunition became expensive and hard to find. Kinsey says all of his conclusions are peer-reviewed before he publishes his reports. Did you see any evidence of a struggle between Paul and the shooter? Kinsey says no defensive wounds were found on Paul or Maggie. The wounds to Paul for his bloody footprints have been there. He would have been standing. How far back? He is asked answer answers approximately six feet, uh, six foot inside the feed room. You teach how to take crime scene photographs. Yes, he said there are three types of crime scene photos. One includes a scale. You take multiple photographs at 90 degrees overhead and more than one shot at a different perspective. The shoes that made the footprints were definitely Paul's shoes when the crime scene photo was taken. Where would Paul had been? Where would Paul had been? Yeah. Kinsey said it would be hard for him to orient as to where he was exactly. The trail of blood goes to the door. He says, yes. The trail is about five foot long. Paul's feet were inside the door and his head and shoulder slightly outside the door. Then he's asked if the fatal shot was uh, hits his shoulder. He answers, yes. Dr. Reamer said, shoulder, chin, head, The DMV showed Paul's height at 6'6", and Dr. Reamer had his height at 6'9". Why the difference? Kinsey said Paul had significant damage to the top of his head, and Kinsey assumed his height to be 6'5". The shoulder wound was at 4'7". Harpulatin asked Kinsey to mark the height and angle of the shoulder wound from the ground on a drawing board Propped up on an easel Using a tape measure Looking at the defects of the door Kinsey got a 135 degree angle Of the fatal shot So they are really Breaking this thing down From every angle Every inch Every foot And every step
0: Well you have to Yeah You have to, because you have to present the jury with all of the evidence, Um, because if you're going to convict something and put them away for life or give them the death penalty, whatever the case, um, you kind of have to know everything.
1: So, Vegas, as this thing is is moving along here, are you still the leader of the Alex Murdoch fan club?
0: Well, no, I I still believe believe
1: we have a bet on the other deal,
0: right? I still believe that he might have not killed the nanny. Um, I, I still that, but this, I never questioned his murder of these two people, okay. if he or if he not, or if he did it or not. Um, but I mean, he is still innocent until proven guilty.
1: Oh, don't you hate that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's still
1: innocent until proven guilty. Um, you know. So we get to the redirect and, and Waters asks Kinsey if he was contacted by SLED to look at this case. Kinsey says yes. He made his own conclusions in the case. And... He is asked. Uh, he is asked. Can homicide scenes be fluid? Shooters can move. Victims victims can move. Kinsey, of course, says yes. Does all that stuff you and Harput Harputlin Harputlian did the easel change your opinion of what happened to Paul? He says no. They re recross examine him. We agreed what we did um, uh, was a mirror image of what we did. He says yes. We agreed the trajectory of the shotgun was low. He says yes. And then they went to a lunch break.
0: I mean, I, I, I have a lot of, of how they died, but I'm waiting for the how do they connect how they died to the murderer or Murdaugh in this case, because he is the defendant. I haven't heard that, you know, he killed them yet. I heard this is how they died.
1: Yeah. Oh, you mean about you're talking about today?
0: Yeah. It's just going up, basically going over the crime scene of what happened.
1: Yeah, and it's a very graphic recall. I mean, that's... Yeah, I
0: mean, talking about brains and holes Oof. in skulls and, yeah, I mean, you got to. I mean, I, I would hate, I mean, I hate to be on a jury in anything, but a murder trial probably would not be... Um, you know, one I'd want to be on Because you have to see all the pictures And any videos and all that stuff It's good, no
1: The cross-examination of uh, Kelly will, be, will begin Friday morning Kelly is the guy that uh, Where did this guy go? Where did, he, where did he go? Ryan Kelly is a SLED senior special agent So he was also questioned and gone over some stuff today about um, body cam images. A body cam image from the responding officer at the scene shows Alex sitting in an ambulance telling his story to EMS. He said a car passed him and came around and parked behind him and a good-looking man got out and shot him. This um, This is in referring to... The side of the road murder for hire deal that Alex participated in, but what it
0: oh because they're they're going to go back to that because they opened the door yeah for that yeah that's weird that's kind of weird that they jump around that they would go for the the murder of the the wife and the the kid to now yeah. his attempted murder
1: so this is September four of twenty twenty one it was a roadside incident where Alex was shot in the head
0: and he didn't die. He did not die. Somebody effed up. His cousin. Yeah. Effed up. Shoot him. Kelly
1: said there was a black Mercedes SUV belonging to Maggie at the scene of an old, uh, suck road. The vehicle had a driver's side flat tire, a run flat tire. After reviewing the tire, Kelly said there looked like a small hole in the tire created by a pocket knife, like instrument. Kelly attained a copy of the nine one one call made by Alex Murdoch Kelly describes the call. Alex says that he is near a church, got a flat, pulled off to the side of the road. Another vehicle pulls up. The driver got out, shot him in the head. It is played for the jury in it. Alex is heard giving his location is near a church with a red roof. The 991 operator asks what's going on. He said he had a flat tire pulled over to fix it. Someone came up behind him and uh, tried to shoot him. The 911 operator asks where he was shot, and he said, somewhere in the head, he was bleeding. I mean, this is a glancing blow.
0: Obviously being called (laughs) 911. This is
1: of no impact whatsoever. Not like the impact that he put inside Maggie's head. Definitely not the same level of impact. It is played for, um, for the jury. Yeah, a body cam image shows a responding officer. Alex tries to give a description of the vehicle. Thinks it was a blue GMC or a Chevrolet. Gun was fired once. He says he lost his vision when it happened. EMS said that they will fly Alex to Savannah. Kelly said he met with Alex and Randy Murdoch at the hospital. Kelly said Alex was receiving treatment and he was awake and answering questions. Alex stated a driver passed by, turned around, came back, shot him in the fucking head. Alex said he made contact with the driver Turned around to go back to his car, and when he turned around, boom. Alex said he thought the weapon was a twenty-two caliber. Alex described the uh, suspect vehicle as a blue pickup truck with special wheels. Driver was a uh, nice guy, nice-looking guy, 30 to 40 years old. Could have been me. Alex gave no name but said it was someone he didn't know but would recognize him if he saw him. Kelly recognizes an image from the middle, uh, sorry, from the inside of the Mercedes showing Alex's assistant solicitor's badge. Kelly is asked on September five, did agents continue to search the scene? Yes, looking for significant debris that may have caused Alex's flat tire. Kelly said across the street from where the Mercedes was found, they recovered a gray utility knife. Kelly said that they did not find any debris that would have caused the flat. Vegas, the utility knife is what caused the flat. They sliced the tire, they threw the knife across the street, and here we go. I mean, if you're going to try to
0: do a murder for hire type thing, I mean, you screwed this up 10 times. Yes. I mean, uh, let's get a flat tire, but we're going to use a utility knife, not a nail. Like, use a freaking nail. Put the nail up and put, you know, boom. And then then you could say, I got a flat from a nail. But no, you use a utility knife like an idiot, which any you know uh, crime lab in the in the country I would assume is going to know that that's not a nail or a glass or something that can cause a flat. Then you throw it across the street, so then they have you know plausible uh, explanation of why that happened. Yeah, and then the person that was you know quote hired to kill you doesn't kill you.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the biggest thing.
0: Yes, because if he would have died, then obviously. None of this would have One, His wife and kid would have still been alive. Maggie and Paul would still be here. Yeah, because he was dead. Um, You know, so I mean, he probably, sh- I mean, his cousin honestly should be on trial for all the murders. Because if he didn't screw up, <laughs> if he didn't screw up, we wouldn't have Oh, actually, no. You
1: know what?
0: No. That was afterwards? This happens in September. Oh, it happens after the death. Yes. Day- oh, okay. Yes. I'm getting the timeline mixed up there.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, no. Oh. Maggie and Paul are dead in June. He tries this stunt in September of 2021.
0: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So,
1: so oh, that's right because he tries to do it cuz he wants Buster to get the money. Buster's yeah. the only one left alive cuz he didn't kill Buster for if, some reason. If Alex Murdoch dies, Buster's the only one alive still. Buster Bluth. Yeah, yeah. Alex said uh, that he called um uh, uh, Alex had called Curtis Eddie Smith he bought pills from Smith, paying about forty to fifty thousand dollars a week for pills. Holy shit! That was Alex Murdoch's opioid addiction—fifty grand a week. You could buy a hell of a lot of cocaine and heroin for fifty grand a week. Alex said he called Smith after he met with Jim Griffin and Chris Wilson on September four. Smith agreed to meet with him on the side of the road, and followed Alex into town to Sonoco gas station. Alex was in the Mercedes. Smith in a pickup truck. Alex said he told Smith things were getting bad and it'd be better off if he wasn't around and asked Smith to shoot him. Alex said Smith was surprised, but eventually he said, yes. Alex said he told Smith to shoot him in the head. Alex said he made the plan. He'd make a flat tire. Smith was to pass him by and come around and shoot him. Alex even gave him the gun a revolver pistol, a thirty-eight, not a twenty-two, like he told the cops. Smith said that, uh, uh, Alex said that Smith followed him out to Selkahatchee Road, and Smith stopped and made the flat tire with a knife and then threw the knife across the street. Smith had already passed him by, turned around, came back, stopped, got out of the truck. Alex said he didn't look at Smith, and Smith shot him in the back of the head. Alex said he was disoriented and it took him a couple of minutes to come back to his senses. He remembers two cars came by. One stopped and tried to help him. He said the people who stopped to help were crowded in their car so the young lady got into the Mercedes and was going to drive him to the hospital but then they put him in the front of their car and drove to meet the ambulance. Alex said his intent was, was for Smith to shoot him and Buster would be better off with the life insurance money. Harputlian asked Smith to repeat the name again, and Alex says, Curtis Edward Smith. Harputlian asks, How long is it from Alex asking Smith to kill him to when he was shot? Alex said it was as long as it took to drive to Sacagawea Road. Harputlian asks Kelly if this call is being recorded. Kelly says yes. Alex apologizes for lying to Kelly in the hospital, and Kelly asked how long had Alex known Smith. Alex said he's known Smith for a long time, about 10 to 12 years. The two would talk frequently on the phone about getting pills. Alex would pay him to get pills, the amount buried several times a week with cash and checks. So this is a telephone conversation that Alex and Kelly, Alex Murdoch and Kelly, are having first of all why are people
0: you now you're talking on the phone admitting to this stuff
1: well yeah i think this was after you know this was you know this is when the 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 gig was up the jig was up yeah but still don't don't i mean stick to your story bro
0: (laughs) just just did i till you die here at this point well yeah because if you admit it well now you admitted it they can't go back and be, well, I mean, I guess you can. I mean, people have said I did it and then found out they didn't do it. They just lied that they did it for some reason. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know what this, I don't know what Alex is trying to do.
1: So they're going to cross-examine uh, Mr. Kelly on a Friday morning. Yeah, this guy's dragged into this trial. He's got nothing to do with this trial. No.
0: But it's the defense's fault. Yeah, because the Sorry. defense is stupid because they brought it up. Now, now it's a pattern. Now, now it's a why did you want to kill yourself type deal. You know, like, what are you doing? I don't know.
1: People are stupid. Well, we're going to end this portion of the podcast. We're going to end this podcast with a cold case. We love to end our shows with cold cases because we feel like after we just talked for 37 minutes about brains and guts and blood and murder, we should talk about, we should leave you with a solved murder case. This one here is a four decades. That's 40 years. After a 13-year-old boy was stabbed to death in Terra Alta, West Virginia, a man has finally been arrested for his murder. David Monroe Adams, 56 years old, was booked into jail this past Monday and charged with second-degree murder. At the beginning of this month, the sheriff's office took a second look at the murder of 13-year-old Jeremiah Jerry Matthews Watkins. What? On November 12, 1985. Watkins was found in a shallow hole near railroad tracks with a fatal stab wound to the back. Preston County Sheriff's Office Captain T.N. Ticknell noted that in his review of this case, that Adams, who was 18 years old at the time, made a number of inconsistent statements about the boy's murder. As part of the renewing investigation, law enforcement conducted multiple interviews with Mr. Adams, and he eventually confessed that an argument that started over a stolen bicycle resulted in Jerry being taken into a shed and murdered over a bike. Adams was living in Westover, a town about 30 miles northwest of Terra Alta, where the murder took place. He's being held on a million-dollar bond and could face additional charges as the investigation continues. Jail Records did not list an attorney who could speak on his behalf. A 40-year-old cold case solved. So when when was the murder in 85? 85, November 12,
0: 1985. And the guy there was a 13 year old, I'm gonna do some math here. Do some math there. Okay, so 19 the kid that died was
1: 13 at the time. Okay. And the guy that did the, the killing was 18.
0: Okay, so 1985, 13 victim. Okay. Yep. yep. And then 18 year old killer. Yep. Okay. Carry the one. And how old is the killer now? 56. He's 56. Okay. And I think he was 13, and the killer was... was, was Carry the one, 56. divide the two. Because I'm trying to see, because if it's a 40-year case, which it's, nearly, it's not, it's 38. Nearly. 38 years. Four decades. Yeah, 38 years. So that would have meant... We uh, were
1: two when this kid was murdered. We
0: were. And so that would make the uh, victim, if he was still alive uh 50 years old. Yeah, so that tracks. 56 yeah. 18. Yep, you're cuz I was originally when you said this and the guy was 56, I'm thinking in my mind the dude was a the dude was a young kid. Yeah, he was. Cuz I was thinking I was thinking 30, 40 years exactly. So I was thinking, you know, he was going to be like 16 or something. So and now my question to that, which is null and void, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Ask it anyway. No, there's if, no such
1: thing as a stupid question here.
0: I Yeah, that's definitely not a stupid question. But if he was 16 and he murdered uh-huh. him, uh, technically he would be an, a minor. Yes. Well, obviously he is now 56. Can they Do they charge him as an adult? Uh, or can he go and say, well, I was technically a minor back then? Or is it because you kind of you know, waited 38 years and finally admitted it? Like, he yeah. kind of lost that minor deal?
1: Yeah, I, I would think, and and maybe at some point we will have a real-life example, and I'm sure it'll be by a case-by-case case basis, but I would assume that they would charge him as an adult. Pro- would would mean, be
0: my guess. Probably, but you, you never know. You don't know. You don't um know.
1: and some states might. But y- yes. California probably wouldn't. No,
0: no, California, no. They would
1: charge him as a minor.
0: Yeah, but obviously since he's 18, it's null invo- it was it was 18, it's null yeah. void anyway.
1: But it's still a good question.
0: Yeah. Because
1: it, it is it is I, I would be I'm curious now that you brought that question up, what that answer would be. Because
0: let's say, let's say they were both 13 years old, right? And you know, the guy took his bike or whatever, and he was mad and he had a little pocket knife or whatever. And he stabbed him a couple times and he murdered him. Um, but now he's, you know, 40, 50 years old. Well, do you say, well, when he committed the murder, he was young, he was a minor, but then now he's obviously an adult. Is it like, well, you, you never said anything to anybody. If you would have admitted it back then, then maybe they would have went softer on you and you would have, you know, whatever. But because you waited.
1: So here, here's my question to you, and then we'll 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 wrap this thing up. What would you rather do? Would you rather get caught at 18 or get caught at 56?
0: Uh I would probably rather get caught at 18. Right? Because yeah. you get it in, you get out. Yeah, serve the 10 years or whatever what, or it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, because you're not going to, they weren't going to probably, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the details in the case, obviously, but I don't think you, you probably would get maybe 15 max. I don't think you would get much more than that because you were still, I mean, you were legal age, but so let's just say 15 years, you do your, you know, you're still out before well before this. But now you're going to 56, and now it's so long that, you know, you could get 15, 25, but now it's going to be 70-something before you're out.
1: So you're probably better off, if you're going to get caught, you're probably better off getting caught at 18 than you are getting caught at 56. I would think so
0: because you, you know, get it done.
1: And the, the flip side to your answer
0: is... You lived 38 years free and clear?
1: No, well... No, you're you're at 18, you're now a felon. Wow. And your life is now, for the most part, your life is shit. I, I mean, mean, that's true. You can obviously rehabilitate, but your life is, you're fucked. I mean. That's true. But now you get fucked at 56, and maybe you've had a life, and you have money, and you had a good job, and you're able to save, or whatever the case may be, and now you're going to jail for twenty five or whatever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you fuck yourself at 18 and now you have a murder conviction on your record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're not. You can't it's really, hard
1: to get a job.
0: Especially when you've been convicted of murder. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you have to like, you know, openly admit that.
0: Yeah, because they will find it in your background.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean that's You know true. what I'm saying? So that, what do you, you that's know That's true. I might I think I'd rather be caught at 56 I mean just just based off of that alone
0: but it could but but the only way I would rebuttal this is just to play the devil's advocate is if he was caught in 85 yeah uh, or 86 or whenever he would have been caught yeah. time frame wise and he showed remorse and he's like you know what I I, I did it it was a bike I, I was young i I got mad I stabbed him I didn't mean to I'm sorry blah blah uh-huh. blah, 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 blah then maybe they don't charge you with a felony Maybe they charge you with um you know not murder maybe it's uh, something else I don't know the all the, the terms. I think
1: either one of any of those are probably going to be a felony but maybe they even drop... if it's involuntary manslaughter I think it's still going to be Well no wow manslaughter is going to be yeah. on the record Yeah but maybe but maybe <laughs> there's a way I don't know i are going to run the background check and be like oh, okay let's see here David Monroe Adams oh 15 years ago you committed manslaughter nice Yeah,
0: Well, involuntary manslaughter is different than...
1: Yeah. uh, But but, how long do the background checks go back? Will that pop up? Is it only seven years they go back? No, I don't think so. If it's only seven years, then you can get away with it.
0: I would think it's 10 or so years, maybe 15. I I don't know. It depends. I guess it depends how long they ask. I know. Or is a felony conviction on there no matter what.
1: Is the murder charge always going to be on your record?
0: I'm going to Google that right now. Google it. I'm gonna Google it right now.
1: Google while while
0: I give the read.
1: Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Also, you can throw us a thumbs up. We appreciate it. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to watch this show, you can watch us, see our beautiful faces. You could do so just by going to forinvegas.com and you'll see the YouTube link. The show in podcast form if you want it. Ad-free, $3 a month. Go to support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Ford in Vegas. You can follow the show on Twitter at Ford and Vegas. If you want to buy a Ford and Vegas shirt, it's another way to help us support the show. You can do so at shopfordandvegas.com. Always recommend premium soft. And lastly, we are a proud member. Proud member of the Dark Cast Network, the best indie true crime podcast network on God's green earth.
0: So it says, uh, in general, a felony stays on your record forever. Yes. Unless you do something about it. That doesn't mean it will always show up on someone checks your background. Yes. And also, great state of California has some laws to help people with felony convictions who have served their time and stayed out of trouble. Well, these to- guys are West Virginia. Why not? But yeah. in California, if you get a felony, there are some laws and you stay out of trouble for a certain amount of time. They can seal that expunge felony. Expunge right. it. Expunge it or seal it or whatever. You seal know. it and
1: expunge it and get rid of it.
0: See ya. It's like it never even happened. All right. I mean, personally, I mean, if you're convicted of a felony, it should be there forever. There should be no laws to get rid
1: of it. We will continue to file the Alex Murdoch, Murdoch trial. And Vegas will be back. Next time. you have any parting words for the audience? Uh
0: Yeah, I come back and I get fired from everything. Yeah. I don't do the board anymore. No more quick hits. I got nothing. I'm just a lonely man over here in the corner. Yep. Yeah, that's what happens, I guess, when, you know, the person that uh, hates you the most is in charge of uh, your life. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, for Vegas, I'm Ford. We'll see you guys next time right here. On Ford in Vegas, a true crime podcast for the ages with two friends who hate each other. Goodbye, Vegas. Goodbye.